our Lord and our God, we firmly believe that you are here, that you see us, that you hear us. We adore you with profound reverence. We ask your pardon for our sins, grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. We have a big crowd tonight. I'm happy to see you all here. Um, you know, my last two P3 talks, I was giving my, my vocation story. Uh, not sure why I took two parts, but I did. Anyhow, um, anyone that listened to those, we have podcasts now, so you can all listen to them if you missed it. Um, but you uh, have heard that St. Therese has a really important, has played a really important role in my uh, spiritual journey uh, to the seminary and in and through the priesthood. She said, my little way is the way of spiritual childhood, the way of trust and absolute self-surrender. And I can tell you, uh, these past several years, uh, I've been really trying, struggling uh, to do that about this absolute self-surrender. This really resonates with me. Therese uh, resonates with me, but she is not easy. And I can tell you I've not always understood her. I still don't completely understand her. I, for much of my, uh, since first being introduced to her uh, way back when, I really kind of thought she was a spoiled brat. I spoke about that to a certain degree, I don't know, in my talks. Uh, but I am very thankful for the role that she's played in my spiritual journey. My friends, you can have a relationship with a saint. You can have a relationship with the communion of saints, people that we have not physically met, but people that have sought you and me out to help us get to where they already are. So I am thankful for her, uh, but I thought honestly that her task uh, with me was over. She's known to be um, a saint that helps uh, seminarians and priests, why well, I thought that the seminarian part was the important part and the priesthood part was kind of not all that necessary, but I can tell you she kept coming up in my prayer over and over and over again this past year, especially after I returned from our mission trip in Peru. When she, uh, well, she is challenging, as I said, and you know, I can tell you I've read a fair amount uh, about St. Therese, I uh, have, uh, well, I, I read uh, I Believe in Love. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, Maurice and Therese, that story of the seminary and her writing back these letters back and forth. I think Father Jacques Philippe's book on Therese, The Way of Trust and Love, are very good. But I can tell you, I never liked Story of a Soul. It's not the first time I read it. This is her autobiography. Again, I think she was just challenging for me the kind of uh, language that was used anyhow. I used to have a struggle with St. Paul, too, so there's hope. But um, anyway, uh, uh, then one of the small groups in our parish, uh, one of the guys told me that they were going to read a story of the soul. And because she had coming up in my prayer uh, recently, uh, very profoundly, uh, I considered this a sign that I'm called to read this book again. Read about the spoiled brat that had been so important in my life. And I can tell you this time, it had a profound impact on me. It really started to resonate with me in ways that she had not before. And one of the things she writes about in her autobiography is uh, 
is a journey that she took. I knew about this journey already. She had to go to Rome. She chose to go to Rome to uh, see. <laughs> this is like a shot in the dark. Maybe the Holy Father will let me see him, and maybe I'll be able to talk to him, and maybe he'll let me go to Carmel to be in the convent early. This was her hope. So her and her dad and one of her sisters uh, went off to Rome to do that. And she speaks of this journey that she went to 14 different cities. She went to, of course, began in Lisieux, went to Paris and Milan. Then she went to Venice, Padua, and Bologna. We did not do that. I should have said, we try to replicate this journey. <laughs> I was gone the last two weeks. You may have not missed me. I don't know, but I missed you. Um, then they went to, uh, to Laredo, to the Mary's house. Uh, and uh, ultimately, of course, she went to Rome. While they're waiting for the Holy Father to uh, be available, they went to Naples and Pompeii, and then ultimately they, uh, on their way home, went through Assisi, Florence, Pisa, and Genoa. I'm sure they went many other places, but these are the cities she spoke about. And we tried to go to uh, most of them. As I said, we didn't go to Venice, Padua, and Bologna. We didn't go to Naples or Pompeii, but we went to everywhere else, as well as a few other places. And But we first started, we thought we should start uh, where she was born, in Alençon. And I had never been there before. I'd been to most of these other places, but uh, I can tell you when I got there, I was immediately irritated. Right in front of their home, this home that she lived at until she was four and a half, was this gigantic truck. Can I not get a picture? <laughs> uh, no picture was going to happen that day. This giant truck was blocking my view. And then, of course, we get in the house, and uh, they had torn down their next-door neighbor's house. They were like townhomes, and they, uh, in that neighbor's house, they had built a beautiful chapel and at some point destroyed the altar and put this little wooden thing there. And I, just, I was getting very irritated and angry. Why would you do this? And I recall Therese's quote. She says, it's true. I suffer a great deal. But do I suffer well? That is a question. This was hardly suffering for Father Dyer to have to look at this poor wooden altar. I can use the high altar, and that's what I did. <laughs> and I celebrated Holy Mass next to the home that St. Therese, this beloved saint, uh, that has been so special to me, uh, literally right next to her house. I can tell you it's one of the more uh, emotional moments of my priesthood was really to be able to do that with my priest friend and two other buddies. And uh, honestly, I could have gone home at that moment, and it would have been a complete success, but we weren't even five hours into our trip. It's going to be there two weeks. Uh, and then I really sat there and prayed uh, with this high altar. It has such a beautiful statue that really resonated with me. It has um, this image of, because I have, if you've heard my vocation stories, received so many graces, these roses, answers to my novena prayers. And this image... Uh, carved in this altar was of the Christ child, baby Jesus, well, infant Jesus, uh, next to this cross with his face on it. And uh, because St. Therese is known, it's that her actual title is St. Therese, uh, a little flower is, is kind of her nickname, St. Uh, Therese, the child Jesus and the holy face. So we have the child Jesus there, we have his holy face there, he's handing her roses. And what is she doing with the roses? She's simply pouring them down, and it's flowing down to me. And please, God, some of you. It was such a powerful image to see that Christ has been involved in this, in this journey of faith of mine and, and using St. Therese as a great instrument of grace. I know many of you love Therese as well. 
And Christ is giving us these graces. Also, beneath that altar, a beautiful image of the Holy Family in the Nativity scene. Such a beautiful image that she is calling all of us, the Lord is calling us to that childlike simplicity of life that is so beautifully imaged in that Nativity scene. You know, so we prayed in the home, we prayed in this beautiful chapel, and then we went to the Basilica of Notre Dame. Um, it's just down the street, a short walk. It's where her parents, Louis and Zelie, now declared saints. It's where they were married, but also where Therese was baptized. It's such a beautiful place for me to uh, imagine that day when this future saint would have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, like he has in probably every one of us here, come rushing in to make a dwelling, a dwelling so perfect that he left a mark in her, and he left a mark in us. And then, of course, I saw the tabernacle, again, one of these recovations, and I started to get a little irritated. It's a little off-center. It's not very beautiful. Uh, it's not certainly the original tabernacle that they had there. And, uh, but, of course, I want to document this whole thing, so I took a picture. And later I realized something that the Lord had done. In this off-center, very simple tabernacle, certainly not that beautiful, stripped of all the grandeur of the former tabernacle there, the Lord's sunlight was shining on just a particular way that he's pointing to the reality of who he is in there. And it's such a grace moment for me, my friends. Our Lord is present here right now in that very simple tabernacle in a very powerful way. So simple looking, but so powerful, infinite indeed. You know, as I said, I could have gone home after this one simple visit, but we did make our way to Lisieux. Therese picked me and she has drawn me there because she has much to tell me about the Lord's plan for me and for you. But before we could get on really to our pilgrimage, it hadn't technically started yet, we wanted to go to Normandy and I'm so glad that we did. Only about an hour from uh, Lisieux, uh, we took just a four hour tour, uh, but it was very profound. Just to see how uh, so many uh, paid the ultimate price for, not martyrs in the, in the Christian sort of sense, but martyrs in, in the real sense that they were witnesses fighting for our freedom, fighting for truth and justice. Such courageous men. We went to Pointe Hoc, we went to Ohama, uh, o o Omaha Beach, and we went to the American Cemetery, and it was very powerful. And then we began our pilgrimage back in Lisieux by going to the Carmel, and once again, seeing the recovation, I don't know what these Carmelites were thinking, but they, uh, well, I already knew this, I'd been there before, recovated their, their chapel, but again, he was present. And she was too, in this little side area, uh, in uh, her relics uh, within the statue of her. And uh, also, uh, though, was this beautiful, uh, image of the Blessed Mother, this beautiful statue uh, that the family began to call Virgin of the Smile because she was literally on her deathbed at age, at age 10 and had this healing done through the Blessed Mother. My friends, do we have a relationship with the Blessed Mother? Therese, our Lord, of course, is calling us to deepen it. She desires healing for all of us. She desires chastity for all of us. She desires so many things for us. This happened on Pentecost, a beautiful, a beautiful reminder that the Lord is in it and he works through his saints. He works especially through the Blessed Mother. Then we went uh, 
to the Basilica where we had, um, um, we had mass there. The relics of her parents are there. And of course, we're guys, we climb the dome and we uh, try to get some exercise and it was a wonderful thing. And then we went to a very powerful place, a place I had missed the last time I went there. We went to the Martin home. She moved there when she was four and a half and lived there until she moved in the Carmel at age 15. And uh, it's interesting that the little tour guide, she, she only just barely mentioned the steps that I'm walking on or the steps that she had her profound Christmas conversion on. It was very... If you know anything about Therese, uh, uh, I think at some point she was kind of like a little spoiled thing. But one Christmas, she had a profound conversion on those steps. And I was asking the Lord that I too could continue to uh, be converted. There in her home was in this little museum section of it was a crucifix that she stared at as she prayed for this death row inmate in secret because they're father didn't want her to know about this terrible man. She prayed for his conversion. Do we pray for our enemies? We pray for those people that are difficult to love. But she did. And she feels like she got a sign right before he uh, was taken to death row that, she, that he had turned to the Lord. And very powerfully for me in my uh, prayer in that same museum was her first communion dress. You know, Therese has a beautiful quote. She has a beautiful reality uh, on her first Holy Communion Day, which, by the way, I share. She's a, such an important saint uh, in my life that the Lord, uh, in his divine wisdom, has made May 8th both her and my first communion day. It's many years apart, of course. <laughs> but uh, anyway, there was that little dress, and I was just praying uh, about that graced moment for her and the many graced moments for me that I... Uh, this weak man, I'm able to receive God himself in the most holy Eucharist. I wish I could remember my first holy communion. But she said on that day uh, to her little friends, they were wondering why she was crying. Oh, perhaps it's because her mother passed away and she's not able to be here. Maybe it's because her sister is locked behind the grate. Her sister she loves so much and she's not able to be here. And Therese in her boldness, her great confidence, said this, she says, as if the absence of my mother could make me unhappy on the day of my first communion. As all heaven entered my soul when I received Jesus, all heaven, my mother came to me as well. Nor could I cry because she, meaning her sister, was not there. We were closer than ever before. It was joy alone, deep, ineffable joy that filled my heart. You know, I quoted Therese. I made this quote in my dad's funeral homily less than a week after he, well, less than a week after he passed away, less than a week after I became a priest. This really resonates with me. I hope it resonates with you. Our Lord and Savior is right there. And at every Mass, we can receive him. And we do have loved ones, friends, family members that have gone to the Lord. And if they are with him, then they are with us and we receive them more intimately than we ever did while they walked this earth. This is what Trez is telling us. This is what I myself have experienced at every Holy Mass. I remember my dad, especially right there, right there, at this altar. And I don't know that I've ever had that kind of intimacy with him while he walked this earth. There can be much peace and joy in and through the Eucharist. Then we went uh, down the street to St. Peter's Cathedral. 
And uh, this, again, was a very emotional place that has her confessional there, the confessional that she received her first penance at, the, uh, the sacrament of penance. And, you know, you can have a relationship with a saint. I'm telling you, how am I having an emotional response to this person I have not physically met? But she picked me. She's picked many of you. She said, I'm certain that even if I had on my conscience every imaginable crime, I should lose nothing of my confidence. Rather, I would hurry with a heart broken of sorrow to throw myself into the arms of my Jesus. Many of you have done that tonight in a beautiful way. And it's God that has driven you here to use these two broken priests to bring great grace to you. Uh, this should give us a lot, it should cause us to pause and see uh, of God's incredible love for us. I could have gone home after Lisieux and I would have been perfectly satisfied in a great, great pilgrimage, but we were only just starting. We drove back to Paris, got there very late that night. And well, does really the rest of this trip matter? Because I really encountered everything I needed to in those first few days. But we wanted to go to the oldest church in Paris, St. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce any of these words right. You French people are <laughs> probably going to make fun of me. That's fine. I don't care. St. <laughs> Germain de Prez, uh, it's the oldest church in Paris. We had mass there. Such an incredibly beautiful church. They have this side room uh, with one of the ugliest altars you've ever seen. Um, but that's... Uh, the Lord became present in uh, the great simplicity of this. Uh, the cross was literally a crack in the wall that went this way and then that way. The uh, tabernacle looked like an electric closet. And uh, anyway, it's, uh, then I'm becoming irritated. But then I realized that the Lord is present even in that. This beautiful church, and they have put him over here, and that's fine. He's uh, beautiful indeed. Then it's so interesting, of course, everyone has to go to the Eiffel Tower in Paris, and I discovered there's 60,000 pounds of paint on that, on that structure. But I thought it was really interesting to realize that they were going to tear that down after the World Fair. It's become an icon of Paris next to Notre Dame. It is the icon of Paris, and it was going to be torn down. How many things in our lives have we, uh, well, they've made us who we are, even sin, has helped us to find the Lord. It's made us a better man, a better woman, because we fell and we realized that we're weak and we need him, and he's provided his grace to us. And it was a powerful moment uh, meditating on that reality that the Eiffel Tower almost wasn't for me and for my buddies, but I'm so glad I was there. It's a really cool place to be. Then we went to San Sulpice, um, St. Louis de Montfort, if you've not done the total consecration to Mary, you really ought to consider about it. That's where he had his first mass. But really more profound for me was in the chapel that he had his first mass was uh, perhaps the most beautiful Marian statue I've ever seen. I was just staring at this beautiful statue. You should look it up. It's in San Sulpice. Uh, just a really remarkably beautiful Marian statue. And again, thanking St. Therese bringing me not just to Jesus, but to his mother. Of course, as a domer, I had to go to Notre Dame and check it out and see the damage. It's such a terrible uh, tragedy that has happened, but in a beautiful way, uh, we also see that she's still standing. This beautiful uh, building is still beautiful. It's such a metaphor for the church. And such a great example, this priest, we know the story of him doing benediction 
and so many of the important artifacts and our Lord himself being able to be removed from that burning church. We went to Saint Chapelle. Uh, some have described it as one of the most beautiful churches in the world. I, I'll be honest, I didn't think so. Okay, it's got some stained glass windows, but <laughs> they're not my kind of style. Uh, I almost didn't go in though because we had to pay. And I'm like, I'm happy to pay to go into a Catholic church that allows mass, but this doesn't even have mass anymore. And so why should I give the French government uh, my money? But I'm glad that I, um, I'm glad I got over my pride because this building used to uh, house the crown of thorns. Why don't they put him back in there? Turn this into a sacred place again. Uh, the crown of thorns used to be, of course, in Notre Dame, and now it can't be there, so wouldn't that be a great idea, French government? Maybe they're listening to my podcast, who knows? <laughs> then we went uh, to Our Lady of Victories, uh, and we had Mass there. Um, I love that name because Notre Dame is Our Lady and of Victories. Uh, anyway, that's another homily. But uh, she said in her book, uh, I myself found only one which filled me with delight, and this was this church. And we got there knowing that quote and walking this, and it's like, okay, this is a pretty church, but I mean, we've seen extraordinarily beautiful churches. What is so beautiful about this church to her? And I was wondering about this in my prayer, and I think it really speaks to her simplicity, her childlike love. It wasn't so much about the physical beauty of the place. It was about the person that this building represented, Our Lady of Victories. Her love for the Blessed Mother, her love for the Lord, uh, is what made this beautiful for her and gave her such delight. Then we did go to a, uh, a beautiful, I mean, the Basilica of the Sacre de Coeur, um, and uh, most importantly, they had adoration there in this massive, massive basilica, thousands of people there, and Jesus on the monstrance, one of the largest hosts I've ever seen, to see people of all faiths be silent in front of God himself was really powerful. And it had been our plan and we did do it. We consecrated ourselves to the sacred heart of Jesus right there in front of him in this building named after his sacred heart. And then we went down the, down the street to Rudabach and went to the chapel of the miraculous medal where Catherine Labore was given this great medal by Our Lady herself. The same church has St. Vincent de Paul's heart, this great gift of service, and we did the act of consecration to Our Lady, the Miraculous Medal. And then, we, you know, just to show that we're not all prayer and no fun, we went and had the best hot chocolate uh, probably on the planet, I don't know, is uh, uh, you guys were going through a heat wave, but so were we. It was very hot there. You might wonder why we're having hot chocolate. Well, Father Dyer put cold ice cream in his to, uh, anyway. And then I got on my first scooter ride. I've, these uh, birds, whatever you call them, I promised I would never do that, but it was so hot and I didn't want didn't to walk all the way across Paris, and so I got on my first scooter ride. Um, thankfully, there are no pictures, but it was quite a sight, me and clerics sweating everywhere, uh, zipping around uh, Paris on these uh, little green scooters. It was awesome. Uh, and then uh, we uh, flew to Milan, and I honestly, when we were planning this trip, I thought, well, let's... She went to Milan, we got to go to Milan, it's kind of a way to get everywhere else. Uh, but I didn't want to leave Milan, honestly. It's a very powerful city, uh, a powerful city in regards to our faith. God had a better plan than mine. He wanted me to see that Duomo. Now, it's not really my um, 
not my uh, choice of kind of artistic way, but it was beautiful, this beautiful Gothic. I mean, there's, uh, well, there's much to see in this church, right? It's the second largest church in the world. It's stunning. Stunning by not just its size, but its incredible beauty. But again, to point to Therese's uh, simplicity, the way she goes about looking at the world, uh, next door to it, literally across the street, was uh, basically St. Mary of the Annunciation. And it said, she said in her book that it's attracted us, attracted her and her sister even more than that cathedral. Most people would look at that, how could this possibly be? It was dwarfed by this gigantic Duomo, dwarfed by the cathedral, dwarfed really by the incredible beauty you walk in this very small church, smaller than this one, uh, like half as big as this part of our church. And very simple looking, you wonder what, again, attracts her to uh, this church as opposed to the other one. It's just her childlike way of looking at it, and again, probably her desire, her love for Mary and the Annunciation, that that moment in time is when God himself became present among us. I think I'm using all my time. I don't have a watch, but uh, anyway. Uh, then in that building is St. Charles. St. Charles Borromeo is on the very top of the building, on the highest steeple, but he's also buried there. We had the great privilege of having mass just feet from his tomb. A very powerful thing. You know, I've been here just over three years now, and I can't say I have a powerful relationship with Charles Borromeo, but I know he's calling me to one with him. If you ever celebrate Holy Mass, literally feet from where he was buried, uh, was, again, a profound experience. But then to go into the crypt of the church, was even more profound. That's where St. Augustine was baptized. They have just the uh, relics of that old baptistry it's where St. Ambrose baptized him. Uh, but St. Augustine has been a powerful saint for me mainly because of his mom. I've been praying to St. Monica for my uh, family members, especially my father and brother to return to the church. My dad already has. Uh, my brother, please God, will. But uh, it's such a beautiful place for me to pray in thanksgiving for uh, those two great saints, St. Monica and Augustine, and of course, St. Ambrose, uh, but also for all the future graces that we're receiving as a result of those baptisms. And then on our way, uh, well, we had to, of course, climb the roof, uh, go and see uh, all of Milan and just see the beauty of this uh, Duomo. But then we, on the way out of town, we went and visited Augustine's burial site in some random town. They don't really have, um, he had no relationship with Pavia, but uh, that is where he is buried. But before we left Milan, uh, we had the incredible privilege of celebrating mass literally a foot away from the bones of St. Ambrose in the Basilica of uh, Sant'Ambrogio. Uh, he is buried there, Ambrogio. Uh, he's buried there with uh, two martyrs, Gervasius and Protasius. Um, my friends, uh, this is uh, a very powerful lesson for us that our church has been built on the backs of giants. We really should come to know about these great giants of the church. She's also built on the blood of martyrs. Martyr, of course, means witness. We are called to be witnesses, and in a certain sense, called like them to be martyrs. What are we doing to die for the faith? There are people in our offices, there are people in our classrooms, there are people in our own families and friends that we are being called to die to ourselves, to speak to them of our love for the Lord, his love 
for them. I have very little time, but we had a, we're not even a week into it. Anyway, we went to uh, Genoa from uh, Milan. We went uh, to, uh, we did not go to Christopher Columbus's house, but we did have some pesto. And then on the way to Pisa, we stopped at uh, Cinque, one of the Cinque Terre towns and um, had a powerful moment there. Uh, and then I'll just close uh, by speaking of one of the more surprising, because I think I could have entitled this talk, Surprising Grace. We woke up uh, Sunday morning, our first Sunday in Pisa, and we needed to have mass, of course. We didn't want to celebrate it in the hotel room for the first time. So uh, Father Noah was looking for a church, and it's hard to find an English-speaking church uh, that we can kind of celebrate in it, even harder to find, we thought, a church that would allow us to celebrate a private mass. It's Sunday. They tend to be busy on Sundays. But he found this church in uh, Luca, Italy, which is just a little town between us and where we were going. We're going to Florence and then down to Assisi. Uh, and we celebrated mass in uh, St. Frediano. And there's this incorrupt saint there I'd never heard of before, St. Zita. She was a virgin, and she's right there under the altar. Uh, she's 700 years dead, and her skin is still very present. Such a powerful moment. We celebrate a lot of mass over some dead people. It was pretty beautiful. Um, but then uh, we're praying our holy hour in this little town, this walled city, in this beautiful church. And the sacristan came and gave us some brochures of her little church she was so proud of. After my holy hour, I'm kind of flipping through this brochure, and I realize that St. Richard is buried, like, right over there. Now, I may have told this story in my vocation uh, talk, I don't remember, but uh, I took about six seconds to pick my confirmation saint. Obviously, Richard is my name. It was given to me by my parents. But I chose the confirmation saint, Richard, because I didn't want to have to think about it. I went to my sister, I asked her, what did you do for your confirmation name? Oh, I kept my name. Oh, perfect idea, St. Richard, it is. I didn't even know there was a St. Richard. And I can tell you for the last 10 years or so, I've been on my to-do list was uh, to get to know who he is. And he found me in this random city picked coincidentally by Father Noah. He's now only feet from me. He found me out. My friends, this is what the Lord does. He surprises us with his grace. This is all happening to all of us. So we should cultivate a relationship with God like that of a small child. This is what St. Therese did and does. Humble, trusting, confident, clinging. Trust and trust alone should lead us to love. I'll just end with one of my favorite quotes of hers. I know I didn't get to very much here, but that tends to be my, maybe I'll make a second talk, who knows. But uh, uh, she says that love does not calculate. Pray on that. Love does not calculate. Love we do not put a price on. I love you, but if it costs me more than X, no. What he wants is everything. But what he can and does return is infinitely more than we can possibly give. And may God be praised. Amen.